Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on The Basic Podcast, where you can hear all of our latest messages, interviews, and more. Basic is a college and young adult ministry focused on uniting people to join in Jesus' work. To keep up with what's happening in our community, take a moment to follow us at Basic Worship or explore our website, basicworship.org. We hope you enjoy this episode of our podcast and that it helps you take a next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Good evening, everyone. I'm Laura Hoy, and I took that red pill 15 years ago when I was 40 years old. Actually, I think God kind of slipped it into my vitamins, and I accidentally took it one day, seriously. Because honestly, up until the time that I was 40, I lived a most common middle-class white life. I grew up in Waterloo with my mom and dad, my three brothers, a dog and a cat. We went camping. I played with neighborhood kids. I lived in a white neighborhood. I went to a white church. I had white friends. And I went to schools that were predominantly white but had some people of color represented. I watched TV and movie screens with white people. For the most part, there were a few people of color represented. I became a follower of Jesus in high school. I went off to college. I got married. I had children. I never thought deeply about race and how it impacted how I saw others how I saw myself, how I saw our world, how I saw my faith. I became a youth director with a servant's heart, and after years of doing mission trips and serving in the city with teens and adults, at age 40, I felt this tremendous sense of calling from God. It was like I was being called into something like missions, but I just knew he was trying to show me something really important. And it started with a whole new set of questions. Like, where's the transformation in myself, in others, in our community as we serve? Why do people live so separately after desegregation and civil rights? How come there are inner city neighborhoods across all of America? And what did I think about those neighborhoods? And what did I think about the people who live there? Why, if the all-powerful Christ is the reconciler of all things, are churches some of the most segregated places in our society? The Bible has over 2,000 scriptures talking about God's compassion and his heart for the poor and the oppressed, there are warnings throughout about the idolatry of greed and exploitation and injustice. Why don't we spend more time on these in church or act on them as Christians? I was wrestling with these questions and there was a feeling deep in me that something was off, kind of like Neo, if you've ever seen The Matrix, right? And just like Morpheus in that video was talking to Neo, 
God was talking to me. Laura, do you want to know what it is? This matrix of racism that is everywhere, even in you. The world has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That even though you are a Christian, you are in bondage, oppressed by racism, and by the way your mind has been taught to think and live in this world. And just like Morpheus told Neo that he couldn't be told about the matrix, he had to see it for himself. So God began to lead me on a journey to see race and racism and racial oppression with some new eyes and new understanding. And God showed me that I needed to make this, this journey central to discipleship because of the destructive ways racism keeps me and others in bondage and keeps us all from freedom and growth. It's like a main dish. It's not a side dish. It's not an extra. Uh, the next step of the journey for me was related to, but not like primarily focused on race. It was something that God needed to teach me about and humble me through. I had begun this shift in serving uh, from charity to development mindset. In all the serving I had been doing, I was feeling like giving handouts was not very effective. And I really believed the people that I was serving needed development of skills, of opportunities, mentoring, education, connections, support. I believed that we needed to build relationships. But at that point on my journey, and it was kind of unconscious at that time, I believed it was really for the other person's benefit, for their development, for their freedom, for their growth, not my own. I was the giver. I was the helper. I didn't need them. And then through a series of situations, God began to humble me. He began to teach me spiritual growth lessons. He began to help me see my need through other people that I was serving. Uh, he was opening my eyes and showing me my need for development, my need for freedom, my need for growth. He began to show me my superiority, my sense of superiority, and my bondage. There's a quote from an Australian Aborigine woman named Lilla Watson that kind of describes my transformation journey from superior servant to fellow freedom seeker. She says, if you have come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Those were new eyes for me. That was new understanding for me. I was beginning to be humbled and recognize my own need for freedom and growth. And so I began joining with and learning from diverse people in diverse spaces in our community. I read so many books. <laughs> books that were waking me up to a history I was never taught in school. I began listening to voices of color share their life experiences. And I also went to the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee. 
At the museum, one of the first things I saw was this quote from the Declaration of Independence. Right above life-size statues of kidnapped humans chained to one another and crammed into a ship to be enslaved for the sake of American progress. I'm just going to read that. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And in this room where that was, there were all of these other um, signs talking about the amassing of wealth in the early part of our country's founding. By 1860, four million slaves contributed to what today would be $10 trillion to the U.S. economy. And yet they were not allowed to enjoy any of the wealth, nor life, nor liberty, nor the pursuit of happiness. What happened to all men are created equal? And through the museum, I could see that every time the African-American people tried to take steps toward freedom and growth, around every corner, they were pushed back and they were pushed down. Over and over again, as you walk through the museum and through history, you could feel this tug of war for justice and freedom, for control and power, for justice and freedom, for control and power. As I left the museum, my heart was so broken. I was broken by the injustice. I was, my eyes were being opened to things that I would have rather ignored or had ignored and just been blind to in my life. I penned this simple page in my journal to describe what I had experienced inside the museum. Just this incredible warfare. And I realized that experiences like this on my journey helped me begin to see how racism was, had deeply broken our relationships with ourselves and with other people, both for the oppressing group and for the oppress, oppressed group. Our European ancestors, many who came to America with a love for the Bible and faith in Jesus, we're stealing land from our natives on this land. They were tilling it with cotton and tobacco, and they were kidnapping and enslaving people to do the work. How could they write the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and follow Jesus in discipleship and freedom and growth and love while at the same time building the American economy by kidnapping and enslaving human beings, selling and buying them, ripping apart human families, raping, beating, whipping, torturing, working to the bone, working to death, human beings. The wickedness of greed and slavery must have caused so much cognitive dissonance for those early Christian Euro-Americans. They either had to repent and quit brutalizing people, or they had to find a way to justify it, to deny its evil, in order to live with themselves and their faith. 
And so that's what they did. They created a system of race that defined value and worth by a person's skin color. White was the created race that had the highest value. That would become the norm, the very standard that America would tell its story through. And white Americans had to close that cognitive dissonance gap, right? They actually had to dehumanize other humans as a psychological defense mechanism. They had to really take on a deep mindset that people groups like natives and Africans were less, they were inferior, they were down there, they were less desirable, less capable, less intelligent, less human. They even just determined, well, they really weren't human. They were maybe three-fifths, but not really human. How else could they endure the trauma of traumatizing fellow humans? They had to figure out a way to justify it. And this mindset, I'm going to pull this back over, this mindset would become entrenched and conditioned into every facet, every system of American life. Racism was poured into the foundation and built into the framework of the house we call America. And it's a matrix, it's complicated, but it is a world, worldly way in which we see people and operate. For oppressed people groups, messages of inferiority and less than were transferred, right, from generation to generation. So much trauma. For those who are white, messages of entitlement and privilege and superiority live deep inside of us. They are conditioned inside of us, generation after generation. It's the way racism is meant to work. Injustice has, ramp has run rampant through the mindset. Racism was constructed with wealth and worldly power as idols. Status and privilege and comfort are its highest values. And this matrix lives deep in us and it keeps us in bondage by seeing ourselves and seeing others inaccurately through a worldly point of view. So where's some good news, right? Well, let's start in Romans 12 too. And it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind. Our minds can unlearn racism and be renewed. They can. How? Well, I am so excited to get one of these off. Through Jesus, right? The Son, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus Christ, thank you, Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 16, there's a verse that says, for Christ's love 
compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. So Jesus took this worldly way of seeing and being and he stretched out his arms and he nailed it to, he was nailed to the cross with it. He was nailed to the cross with it. Where in this worldview, wealth and status are the source of power. In the kingdom of God worldview, love is the source of power. And then Jesus tells us in this worldview, there's no hierarchy. It is all people, every single one, made in the image of God and created with equal worth, equal humanity, equal value. All people made with gifts and purpose in this world. All people broken. Our identities are broken. Our relationships are broken. And we are in need of Jesus. All people invited to find life abundant in Jesus and, and identity. And then all people right here are invited in this mutual web of of beloved community where we share those gifts we give and we receive from one another and we live in this web of mutual mutual liberation right actually i just should leave it like this right <laughs> but believing that Believing in Jesus, believing in the kingdom of God, cheering the kingdom of God on, talking about the kingdom of God and freedom in Jesus only really unshackles me partway, right? Because racism is sin and sin separates and racism has done a masterful job of separating and dividing us. There's a great quote from Martin Luther King that says, you know, people hate each other because they fear each other. And they fear each other because they don't know each other. And they don't know each other because they don't communicate. And they don't communicate because they're separate. And so unless I do something my mind is not really going to be renewed. We're too separate. There's a, um, an, the next slide. We think where our feet stand. My feet were standing a lot in white dominant culture. I believed my mind stays captive while that happens. I needed to move my feet to move my mind. My liberation is bound up with friends of color on this journey toward healing, toward reconciliation, toward justice. Friends like Preston Taylor need to help set me free. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> 
I need to intentionally listen to and learn from and do life alongside of people different than me if I really want to bear witness to this kingdom of God. And if I really want to unlearn the worldly point of view. And so my family moved into a diverse neighborhood and I am part of working with partners that are seeking freedom together in the way of Jesus and justice. And I thought I would take, let me look at how much time, oh look, we're doing pretty well. Um, I, um, seven, we, we have like six minutes or so, maybe even more, six or seven, this is so good. I usually, okay, uh, anyway, um, <laughs> Preston's going to teach next week, but I wanted to give him some time up here and and, uh, you know, prime you for next week. How's that? All right. Sounds Maybe good. we should just, we met because our church's partner, Orchard Hill Church and Harvest Vineyard. And, uh, golly, I met Preston. 2015-14. Thank you. Y'all got me on? Yep. There we go. All right. I used to go to basic when I was at UNI, too, so. Woo-woo. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Let's just have yeah. a little conversation, all right? Cool. So why do you think it's important to get out of comfort zones and move your feet in order to move your mind? Um, I believe it's important because it just gives us a, a better perspective. Um, and it goes back to what I believe Laura said um, in the Martin Luther King quote, why people don't communicate, why people don't trust, why people don't like, or why people hate is because if all you see or if all you hang around and communicate with is people who look like you, um, in this case, we're going to say white people, but I think this is any people group, then you lack perspective. And by getting to know and doing life with people that don't look like us, it gives us a different perspective, and it also allows us to walk in other people's shoes and kind of feel the struggle that other people feel because we all have different struggles um, no matter how good life may be it's some type of normalized dysfunction that we all deal with and in the case of african americans and the history of the united states and just with the current like social injustices it's just good to understand and be around other people so you can get a better perspective or a, a, a vantage point Awesome. What do you think? Well, I think that that's true. I think I knew I needed to. That's what I needed because I'd read the Bible a lot and I was reading all these verses and I knew something was off and it was a lot of it was things I didn't really understand or know yet until I actually started to move out of those comfort zones and move out of those familiar places. Right. Um, and then also I think racism sets us up to... For, for people like me in privilege to actually think that I don't need other people, that I'm good, I'm good, right? And it's yeah. so wrong, if we're, if we're really moving in the way of Jesus, I mean, I, I have to say, Jesus knew this would happen, right? right? And so how did he come to earth? I mean, he came as a baby born in a cave to impoverished teenagers, not to right. some wealthy family in a palace. And he spent his whole life going toward pain and moving toward those who are marginalized and oppressed because he knew people were going to be pushed down and left out. And he didn't just stay in heaven. He actually moved in and, and alongside yeah, Jesus with really, them. 
Jesus really set the bar high for all of us because <laughs> he could have came in his divinity on, you know, with like with his Captain America cape on. <laughs> like I came, you know, to save the world and he did, but he did it totally opposite of the way that they, like they show superheroes, right? Mm-hmm. You, they don't show the undercover superhero that's behind the scene. Well, I guess like Peter Parker and Spider-Man, didn't nobody really know he was Peter, you know, Peter Parker was Spider-Man, just a select few. Um, but, yeah, so he really set, like, an example for us on um, how we should serve, and um, as believers, he set the bar kind of high, because it's really an upside-down kingdom. God's kingdom is totally opposite of the way that the earth kingdom is set up. So he came as a servant, you know, and even though he was all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wonderful, all-brilliant, all-great, you know, like the man was washing people's feet and working for what he wanted, and that's the example he set for his disciples. Um, He broke the lines, uh, the barriers when it came to, like, um, like women's roles in society. He really gave women a voice. He gave those who were oppressed those who uh, were ostracized, those because of whatever elements or ailments they had that people was like, "Uh, no, you got leprosy, stay over there. You know, Jesus is like fellowshipping with these people, these prostitutes, these these tax collectors, like all the people that today we would see and we would judge and we would write off. That's who Jesus was kicking it with back in the day. Facts. Thank you. Yes. Facts. And Facts. I, I, I was thinking, too, that moving to, you know, move your feet to move your mind, it, it's a journey. I will say that. It is a journey. Because the other thing in superiority thinking is that when you have privilege and you're reading the Bible, even through a lens, kind of paternalistically, like, oh, I can, I'm going to go help people. Because the fact is, oppression has left some people out, right? Of There's educational gaps, there's housing gaps, there's every kind of gap. And so then you start to think you've got, you're the, the fixer, the savior, the helper, and the posture is, is, is wrong because what it does is for years I served thinking I had everything to give and nothing to receive. And it's just not that way. It's just not that way because the bondage that I have or the deficit that I have was the way I actually saw myself, others, the world. And so you really have to move your feet to move your mind. And then it's a journey. I served for a long time before that thing started to to break apart. And I was humbled and recognized, oh, my gosh, I'm just a fellow freedom seeker. And we're all... You know, what Jesus said here, created in the image of God with gifts to share. I need the gifts of other people and different it, than and me. Right. And, and, we, and we all need that because that's what we bring to the table. Everybody has their own unique set of gifts, talents, and abilities. And together, like when we put them all in the pot, how many of y'all done heard two minds are better than one? Right? For the most part. Did it say two white minds are better than one black mind? (laughs) Did it give a color or a race or a gender or anything on that, right? So when everybody kind of bring their gifts, and if we do believe in the message of the gospel and that our liberation is tied up in one another, so I can't succeed unless I help you succeed and your success is tied up in my success, 
you know, we got to go outside of the norm and outside of our comfort and think bigger, right? And think to uh, inclusion, is that right? Like everybody, you know, like it takes all of us to achieve that. And we just can't do that when we stay in our own bubble. We do what's comfortable to us. And it's going to be uncomfortable having mm -hmm. those conversations. But when you start getting the revelation of who Jesus Christ is in you and how you're called to build the kingdom of God and walk out your purpose, um, there's going to be questions that you can't ask your white counterparts. It doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. They only have their own percep perception and their own perspective. So you need like someone who don't look like you, who was different than you. I see my black brother right there too. <laughs> Right? See, we already in tune because we don't have no choice but to grow up mm -hmm. around white people and get white culture and to get white perspective and white doctrination where, you know, our white counterparts, like, you don't never really have to grow up and be exposed to black culture like that. Um, so it's different and it's important. And I think you'll become more of an asset to your community and your job and your kids and your family as a whole when you do have that perspective. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome sauce. <laughs> so throw uh, the next slide up, will you? All right, it's bright. It is bright. Yeah. I can't um, really actually, see it's one back. There you go. And maybe it was up there. Sorry. Um, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So Preston, my next question for you is, you know, think about new creation. Think about uh, you're calling it a ministry of reconciliation and justice. I always add justice because this work that God wants us to do in reconciliation is not just holding hands and singing kumbaya. Nope. Mm. There's some justice that needs to happen, and reconciliation really doesn't exist without justice. Um, so, anyhow, that's my little yeah, thing that, there. Yeah, oh. two, uh, <laughs> justice and uh, reconciliation is like PB and J. Yeah. Right? I mean, you can try to have them separate, but they just taste better together. They just do. They do. So, my question to you is like, where are you seeing hope? Like, where are you seeing new creation? Uh, a different way forward in, in, in your work in Ministry of Reconciliation? Where are you seeing hope? Um, I had to get outside of my bubble personally um, because, you know, black people grow up with their own ideas of, like, I think some of the stuff that Laura realized is something that uh, our ancestors realized and taught us and not to, you know, more as a, a guard for us to be aware of what's out there because, you know, you're going to face it at some point of time. So I think in my journey, it was stepping outside of my comfort zone and um, really getting to know people like Laura Hoy, who had questions like I had questions, who realized that as a believer, it ain't, it doesn't stop at just accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. How many of y'all just stopped at that point? Like, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm going to serve Jesus. This is awesome. I go to church. If that's where you at, it's okay. Nobody. Y'all a little bit past that. Don't make them raise so, their hand to that. 
<laughs> so it's past that because, you know, as Laura was wondering, we're doing all this mission work and we're serving, why aren't lives being changed or transformed, right? Like, where's the progress? If this is really working, how do you know you're about to graduate? Because you did your homework, you got good grades, and you kind of passed this step, so you got some type of litmus test. So I think that for me, um, where I've been seeing that is out of every adversity is a seed of equal or greater benefit. So a lot of people are asking questions. A lot of people are more open now to learning uh, more now than, you know, ever before. And I think what I love about the millenniums, y'all millenniums, right? Yeah, I am too. Huh? You Gen X? Gen Z. Gen Z. I'm like somewhere in there. I'm like the end of the millennium, but not quite like under me or below me. I don't know. But anyway, I'm a boomer. I, I like y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I like the millennials because y'all fighters. Y'all, y'all more free thinkers. Y'all more free spirited. And just like the customs and the norms of the world, like y'all stand up and y'all speak up for yourselves. So I think that's awesome. So within that is the opportunity to really be a part of what God is doing and to break down like those lines and to understand on a deeper level because as before, we didn't have technology. We didn't have access to resources that allowed you to research, do good thorough research on things that caught your mind or things that God placed on your heart or things that the Holy Spirit was kind of, you know, sparking in you like, this just don't seem right. Now you can do all the research and you can come to know your own truths outside of someone telling you are a book. So I think within all of this, everything, like the opportunity now is to, you know, like grow and to build. And um, yeah, so that's how, I, that, that's how I see opportunity like today and the advantage. And what I've done is get out my comfort zone and um, just walk alongside people. And now is a good time because people want to talk about it. Right. You just got to be careful who you talk to about it. <laughs> I think for me, new creation and working in the Ministry of Reconciliation, where I see hope is when there's some intentional work to bring people together that maybe would never meet and, um, and, do, it and, and, and do life together and do the journey together. And I know Aaron Ochoa is here, so I'm going to call out Tripod. Woo! Um, but like I, I've been a part of a couple of ministry starts, Youth Art Team and TriPi, where we very intentionally, as we formed, for, um, said, "How can we bring people together that normally would not spend time together? That come out of our bubbles, and um, and then let's let's work together in in that." And there's just been so, so much beauty in that. We got a lot of the idea from um, Greg Boyle. Have you ever heard of Father Greg Boyle in Los Angeles, Homeboy Industries? He started bringing rival gang members together to work together in a printing shop and, uh, and a bakery. And his stories are phenomenal, that people who end up working side by side end up becoming friends. And so, you know, TriPi formed as this business ministry model and there's this beautiful, diverse group of teenage young women working together and, and learning about entrepreneurialism and, and Jesus and leadership and um, uh, job skills. And, uh, and it's a natural thing for them to be learning about each other because they're working side by side. So I see hope in models like that. 
Um, and and that, it, but you have to be intentional in that, I think, so. I agree. Okay, I'm gonna close with a, a, a little conclusion, then we'd like to give you just a little bit of reflection time. So, you know, this red pill journey of mine, it involved some brokenness. It involved me being broken by God and what God was showing me. And that involved lament and grief and still does. And, um, and confession and repentance. For me personally, but also corporately for our for our world, for our society, for the system that it all is, right? It's more than individual prejudice that's at work. It's a power and principality that's real deep. And so I would say to you, don't be scared of that. Don't be scared to face that because that on the other side of that is freedom and growth and abundant life. And the Bible is all, that's, Bible's all over that, you know, about um, dying to live and sacrificial love and um, sacrificial love and service. I mean, there's all sorts of, of facts that we will suffer. And, and Jesus showed us how to move into suffering with each other. And then the journey required me to ask where my feet were standing. Who was I learning from? What podcasts were I li was I listening to? What books were, was I reading? Um, where did I find myself? If I charted out a pie chart of my time, who were my friends? If I died today, who'd be at my funeral, <laughs> right? Like, where, where am I spending my life? How am I distributing my life, my gifts, my money, my time? And it, it caused me to ask those questions because belief alone will not move us as disciples. It will take some action. And so I, I put up some, or um, we'll put up some, uh, a slide with four questions, and we just encourage you to ask God to show you your need for other people that are different than you. And ask God to show you how racism may have oppressed you or has kept you in bondage. And where are your feet standing? And what is your next step in the ministry of reconciliation? Just one step. Thank you for having us here tonight. Y'all give it up for Laura Hoy. She was awesome. God, you are the God of reconciliation. It is the core mission of your heart. It is your mission to reconcile people back to you through Christ and to reconcile people to people and to themselves. It's like, it's the main dish. Help us. Help us as your people to um, be brave, give us your courage, to look at uncomfortable things, to look deep within, and to be willing to move, to move our feet um, for the sake of renewing our minds, for the sake of your kingdom, so we can bear witness to your kingdom of God. It's so beautiful so that we can have abundance for our souls and so that our neighbors can all flourish as well. Just give us all the courage that it takes to take one step with you. In Jesus' name, amen.